Let's open with a word of prayer. Almighty God, how incredibly awesome and powerful you are. Heavenly Father, we read of the things that you have wrought, your power and your might over the universe. And Heavenly Father, we are just one of the many who are before you, insignificant, how small we are. Lord, we are so undeserving of your kindness and generosity and your love. Your love is greater than all the heavens. And Heavenly Father, we are so undeserving. We are overcome by the kindness of your love. We know that even the greatest things that we can imagine about you are just figments of what you are really like. Heavenly Father, we look upon all the things that you have done for us, sending your Son down to live among us and to die in our place. How amazing and grand, how deep is the mystery, the model of your love, your Son coming down. Lord, this is the way we were meant to live, and we fail daily. Jesus, we are your church. How awesome you are. We are so lost without you. Our sin and our failure, our abject inability to understand weighs us down. And we choose to fail to look at you at the times when we should. Lord, remind us of those times. Let us not follow after our own hearts, but to you and to you only, to open our minds and our hearts. Lord, give us wisdom to heed the words of your prophet Isaiah, to understand, even when it's difficult, give us that discernment, Lord, so that we can know who you truly are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I should have made note of it. We finished off chapter 33 last week. We are halfway through Isaiah. Chapter 33 was halfway. Today we're going to do all of chapter 34, verses 1 to 17. There's a couple of references that Isaiah makes to other places, um, things that crop up in the New Testament as well as in the Old Testament. So we're going to discuss those. Um, next week is the conclusion of this particular song, and Bill's going to cover that one, um, chapter 35. And then chapter 36 is sort of a prose section that sets up the whole rest of Isaiah. As, as Bill has mentioned many times, chapter 37 is very, very, very cool, very interesting piece. And it makes a very marked break right at the end of chapter 36. So looking forward to that. Today we close where Israel receives grace and mercy from God. And that will be next week. God is faithful. 
Again, a reminder, this song is the sixth and the last oracle of the Assyrians. And this particular piece is called Judgment on the Nations. So that sets the tone for the entire, the entire chapter. So let's go ahead and start. Verse 1. So this is chapter 34, verse 1. Draw near, O nations, to hear, and give attention, O peoples. Let the earth hear, and all that fills it, the world, and all that comes from it. So here we have God, through Isaiah, calling on all the nations of the earth to come and listen. Isaiah is giving us the words of God to take heed of what God is about to say. And so the Lord begins. Isaiah gives us the message from God. Verses 2 and 3. For the Lord is enraged against all the nations and furious against all their hosts. He has devoted them to destruction, has given them over for slaughter. Their slain shall be cast out, and the stench of their corpses shall rise. The mountains shall flow with their blood. These are the nations outside of God's covenant. These people do not believe in God in the way that they should. And God has devoted them for destruction. God has brought them here for a complete and utter defeat. The slain will be left to rot. The hills and the mountains will be stained with their blood. Verses 4 and 5. All the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall, as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. For my sword has drunk its fill in the heavens. Behold, it descends for judgment upon Edom, upon people I have devoted to destruction. So here in verse 4 and 5, we see this, the skies shall roll up like a scroll. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12, New Testament. Maybe Paul writing this down. Hebrews 1, 10 through 12. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe, that you will roll them up. Like a garment, they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. We also have a short passage from 2 Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13. 2 Peter 3, 11 to 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God will roll up the heavens in the day of the Lord. There's another passage, Mark 13, 24 to 26. Mark 13, 24 to 26. The coming of the Son of Man. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And of course, the Apostle John. Revelation 6, 12 to 17. Revelation 6, 12 to 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I look, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Do not all these things sound the same? This is all one and the same event from the prophet Isaiah and from the Apostle John. Significantly, there is a passage here out of Revelation. There's another verse here in chapter 34 which comes out of Genesis and it bookends the two pieces Let's continue on. Verse 6. The Lord has a sword. It is sated with blood. It is gorged with fat. And the blood of lambs and goats and the fat of the kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, a great slaughter in the land of Edom. So here in verse 6, the Lord brings a sword. And as you might expect, none can stand before him. Basra is a town in Edom, about 30 miles to the south and to the east of the Dead Sea. Edom is a kingdom outside of the covenant and not chosen by God. Ezekiel 35, 1 through 9. Ezekiel 35, 1 through 9. Prophecy against Mount Seir. The, Lord of, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophet, prophesy against it. And say to it, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir. I will stretch out my hand against you 
and I will make you a desolation and a waste. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, because you did not hate bloodshed. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation. I will cut off from it all you who come and go, and I will fill its mountains with the slain. On your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall die. And you shall make a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Obadiah 10 through 14. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament and in the entire Bible. It is a single chapter. So when it says 10 through 14, it means verses 10 through 14. Obadiah. Edom's violence against Jacob. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Obadiah makes it pretty clear that Edom did not help Israel in their time of need. And so because of that, Edom is judged by God. The next few verses sound very much like passages we've heard before. Verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 35, verses 7 and 8. Wild oxen shall fall with them, and young steers with the mighty bulls. Their land shall drink its fill of blood, and their soil shall be gorged with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. In the day of the Lord, not even the animals can escape. Wild oxen are slain, the land shall be covered with death in that day. It is the day of the Lord's vengeance. It is the year of recompense for Zion. It's interesting how this particular image is being used for the calamity that befalls Israel at that time, but also how it is a model for what will come when Christ returns in the day of the Lord. Isaiah continues on, verses 9 and 10. 
And the streams of Edom shall be turned to pitch, her soil to sulfur, her land shall become burning pitch. Night and day it shall not be quenched, its smoke shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste, none shall pass through it forever and ever. Here in verses 9 and 10, again, Edom, the kingdom outside the covenant of God. Her land shall be as pitch, sulfur, and burning flame. Night and day do not matter. The fires continue to burn. And it goes on and on, generation to generation. The land lies in waste. No one goes there. No one travels through. Genesis 19 23 to 28. Genesis 19, 23 to 28. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Jeremiah 49, 17 and 18. Jeremiah 49, 17 and 18. Edom shall become a horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities were overthrown, says the Lord, no man shall dwell there, no man shall journey there. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. And again, a statement about the walls of Jerusalem being broken down. Verse 11. But the hawk and the porcupine shall possess it, the owl and the raven shall dwell in it. He shall stretch the line of confusion over it and the plumb line of emptiness. The land shall allow wild animals to live in it, the birds and small animals. The Lord stretches a line of confusion over the land. It is a wilderness, a line of emptiness, and only the wild land remains. By the way, the words confusion and emptiness occur only twice in the Bible, right here. And the other place that it occurs 
is where the words get translated as form and void. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. These are the only two places where those words occur, form and void, and confusion and emptiness. Isaiah continues on, verse 12. Its nobles, there is no one there to call it a kingdom, and all its princes shall be nothing. There is no civilization there. There are no nobles, no farmers, no merchants, no common people. There is nothing. Verses 13 and 14. Thorns shall grow over its stronghold, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be a haunt of jackals, an abode for ostriches. And wild animals shall meet with hyenas. The wild goat shall cry to its fellow. Indeed, the night bird settles and finds for herself a resting place. We've heard of the images of the walls being broken down, the city being overrun by bushes of thorns and thistles. All manner of wild animals shall live there, but there are no people at all. Verse 15. There the owl nests and lays, and hatches and gathers her young in her shadow. Indeed, there the hawks are gathered, each one with her mate. And the birds gather there and nest and raise their young. In this once great city, the land is wild and unoccupied. It is just a wilderness. The next two verses appear to be a shift for Isaiah here. And Isaiah is now, instead of speaking to the nations who are outside the covenant, Isaiah, it appears, is speaking to the people of God. So verse 16. Seek and read from the book of the Lord. No one of these shall be missing. None shall be without her mate. For the mouth of the Lord has commanded, and his spirit has gathered them. I think the two interpretations here of verses 16 and 17, in one the passage shifts to a command for the people of God. In the other interpretation, it is still a command for Edom and the animals that live there. I'm inclined to believe it's the first because to seek and read the book of the Lord, that's a command that only God's people would understand and comprehend. In verse 17, there's a fascinating little opening here. 
the very last verse of this passage. He has cast the lot for them. His hand has portioned it out to them with the line. And they shall possess it forever from generation to generation. They shall dwell in it. When God throws, casts a lot for someone, God knows what the lot is going to come out. There's no, God is playing dice. There's a, a famous quote by Einstein that says, God does not play dice. I love that quote. It says something about the nature of Einstein. God does not play dice. Here it says God does play dice, but he knows what's going to come out. He's throwing, he's throwing a, a cheating set of dice. He knows the answer. God has sealed this for the people, for his people. And God has portioned out their land, and he has drawn their line, generation to generation. And this is God's inheritance. And that ends the passage today. And the fascinating thing is, chapter 35 there's a very distinct break in the song. And this song, by the way, this is just a break in the middle of the song. The song continues on all the way through chapter 35 to the end of 35. And 35 is actually the end of the song. 36 is sort of a prose piece that sets up the entire rest of Isaiah. And that's the end of the passage today. Can you see such a vision? There is much suffering getting to this point. <clears throat> At the same time, God's people do not have an easy life either, that there is difficulty, challenges in the world. But do we hear what God is saying? Do we hear God's promise in the end? Who's standing in the background here? We know who that is. We know what is coming. It has been promised to us. Are we seeing and hearing anew what God is telling us? Every day when we get up, do we remember that? That's my challenge to you. What do you think of the first thing when you wake up and you roll out of bed, your feet hit the ground? By the way, for the last two weeks, I've been struggling with gout. So when my fit, feet hit the ground, it was not a pleasant thing. I have to say, um, it's only been in the last two days that I've been able to start walking again. And so, now, I, I, I need to say, this foot is complaining about it. My right foot is still complaining about it, but I can walk. You probably shouldn't stand too close to me. I can't wear socks yet with my shoes, okay? So I, I'm, I'm not wearing socks. I'm not doing that just to look hip, all right? I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this because I can't wear socks yet. My foot won't fit into the shoe with the socks just yet. It's getting close, though. I had to go walk the dog last night, uh, the night before last, actually.
Do, do we see what's going on? Do we see what Isaiah is telling us to change the way we live in the world? Isaiah is asking us to look to Jesus, to be more like Jesus. And, and you have to remember, it wasn't Jesus' choice, although it was Jesus' choice in an odd sort of way, to have to do what he ended up doing. He ended up having to do that because of us. It is our fault that Jesus had to die on a cross. Do we think about that? Isaiah sings a song of redemption. Implied in here is how God will redeem Israel. And Bill will get to talk about that next week. And this is so cool. God's people are brought to his holy mountain to worship him. If you step back just a moment and think about what's going on here, you can see it. Isaiah is setting this whole thing up. That is the message that's coming. This is the promise. That God will be there in the end. That God is the only one who can be there in the end to save us. God is the only one. Jesus is there to call us. He had to pay for our rebellion against God, for our sin and our unfaithfulness to God. Jesus takes away our guilt, and our sin is atoned for by Jesus' death on the cross. And Isaiah is the one pointing us back to God. He's telling us to change the way we live in the world. Are we doing that? Are we aware of the forces of right and wrong in our culture, in that political sea? Are we becoming more Christ-like by looking to God and modeling what he wants? And the more we look toward Jesus, the more we become like him. God loves us all. I look at the chaos in the world today and how much this message sounds like the world we live in now. How we should be hiding from evil. And I think about how I fail at that every day. God knows I'm not there yet. And I am on my knees before the Lord. I need to rely on him. Looking to God for his mercy and his love and his grace. I need that love which is beyond all comprehension. I need God's power of forgiveness. And despite all of this, God still chooses us. Ultimately, all of this serves God's greatness. His greatness will be there for us to see on the day of the Lord. And we will all witness his greatness and his splendor on that day. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are so great, and we are so insignificant and small. Lord, you have kept your words spoken by you, spoken by Isaiah for you and handed them down through all these ages for us to have now. Down through all these ages, you have given them just to us so that we can understand what Isaiah is trying to tell us, what you are trying to tell us through Isaiah. Lord, we have been unfaithful. 
we keep trying to save ourselves. We look to Egypt. We look to the world. And we're trying to work out our own salvation. Lord, if we would only just accept your free gift. You want us to hear Isaiah's words. And despite all of this, you continue to shield us in the palm of your hand. You lovingly guide our feet. Heavenly Father, hide Isaiah's words in our hearts. Give us understanding. Write those words deep down inside of us. Lord, give us the lessons we must learn from you and only from you. Heavenly Father, guide us in your perfect path that our feet would not stray. Your plan of redemption is so incredible, Lord. We think about Jesus, our rock. Lord, let us not smooth out Jesus. Let us not smooth out the rock. Jesus, you died in our place to redeem us, to save us. Jesus, you are so amazing and we love you. We bless you and we honor you for having done this. And we praise the name above all names, the name of Jesus. Amen.